This is CPX number 90, Matrimony Part 3. This is the Catechism, Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 108 to 109, question and answer 14 to 26. God give you his peace, and nomine pati sufficit spiritu sancti, amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good, amen. And nomine pati sufficit spiritu sancti, amen. So today we're going to be talking about conditions and impediments of marriage. Impediments are the things that can and should stop you from getting married. Now today I'm going to read my commentary within each question and answer, or rather after each question and answer. This way you don't have to listen to all the question and answers a second time. So this is just going to save you some time. Number 14, what is necessary to contract Christian marriage validly? Answer, to contract Christian marriage validly, it is necessary to be free from every dirament impediment to marriage and to give consent freely to the marriage contract in the presence of the parish priest or a priest delegated by him and of two witnesses. Okay, a little commentary here. You know, freedom is the huge thing you have to have in your engagement as you approach the altar of marriage. And this means freedom from coercion, freedom from addictions, freedom mentally, as in being in your right mind. In fact, except for very odd reasons of annulments, like, I don't know, you accidentally married your cousin. We're going to talk about that later. Most annulments today come down to proving someone didn't have freedom in their time of engagement. Not in their marriage, but in their time of engagement. Now, I don't want to talk about annulments today, but they can show us the flip side of what is needed. The darkness of all the things that we see happening today can actually show us the light of what is supposed to be there for a valid marriage. So besides having a baptized man and a baptized woman and two witnesses and a priest, the main thing we need to have, or you need to have, is free consent. And again, that includes freedom to make a life decision which implies freedom from fear, freedom from addiction, freedom from insanity. So the, the goal here, if you're not married, is marry someone who is not afraid of you, marry someone who's not addicted to something, marry someone who's not crazy. I mean, every Catholic's a little bit crazy, but don't marry a psychopath. Number 15, what is necessary to contract marriage lawfully? Answer, to contract marriage lawfully, it is necessary to be free from every impending impediment to marriage, to be instructed in the principal truths of religion, and finally to be in a state of grace Otherwise, a sacrilege would be committed. Okay, you know, this is why we talked about last time going to confession before getting married, so that you can get married in sanctifying grace. Remember this. If you're unbaptized, you are in a state of original sin. If you are baptized, you are either in a state of grace or a state of mortal sin. To figure out which one, uh, go to my blog, 15 Mortal Sins Catholics Are Missing in Their Confessions. I'll link it in my show notes. It's not an exhaustive list, but you can be pretty sure that if you've committed any of those 15 sins and confessed them, then you're in sanctifying grace if you've been good about avoiding them since your last confession. So again, if you're unbaptized, you're in original sin. And if you're baptized, there's only two options. You're either in sanctifying grace or mortal sin. There's really no gray zone between those two. And this is why the Pope is saying it's so important to get married in sanctifying grace. Okay, number 16. What are the impediments to marriage? Answer, impediments to marriage are certain circumstances which render marriage either invalid or unlawful. The former are called dirament impediments and the latter impending impediments. Number 17, 
Give examples of Dearment impediments. Answer, Dearment impediments are, for example, relationship to the fourth degree, spiritual relationship, a solemn vow of chastity, or difference in religion. That is, when one party is baptized and the other is not. Okay, so what is a fourth degree relationship? A fourth degree kinship relationship is your brother, sister, uncle, aunt, first cousin, grandparent, great-grandparent, great-aunt, great-uncle, great-great-grandparent, niece, nephew, grandniece, grandnephew, or step-parent. So if you married any of those people, then you executed a fake marriage under direct impediment. That's what impediment means, um, that you can try marriage, but it won't stick, so to speak. Um, now, notice there that a spiritual relationship also includes godparents. So you can't marry a godparent or your godchild. Should be pretty obvious, but you know we have a billion Catholics. You never know what's been tried. Um, notice also there that it used to be when the Pope wrote this 100 or 150 years ago that a baptized person could not marry an unbaptized person. Let me say that again. A baptized person could not marry an unbaptized person except for dispensations which were granted very, very rarely. Uh, Eterna Press makes the note that this has been altered by the 1983 Code of Canon Law, or at least these dispensations to marry someone of a different religion are much more frequent. So a Catholic nowadays frequently does marry non-Catholics, but they still, even under the looser 1983 Code of Canon Law, have to get a dispensation by the bishop. Now, sometimes that works. Um, I look at my grandma, and you know, even before Vatican II, she, she was not Catholic, and my grandpa, again, before Vatican II, got the dispensation to marry my non-Catholic grandma. Kind of a neat story. She secretly took adult instruction. And then one day, I think a year or two after they were married, you know, she'd been taking instruction to become a Catholic in that year. She came up to the altar rail and then received communion. And my grandpa, who's probably the most traditional of all my four uh, grandparents as far as traditional Catholicism, he was shocked at this, and he didn't say anything at the altar, but they went back to make their Thanksgiving, and she whispered to him she was Catholic now. So a wonderful uh, surprise for my grandpa. But, you know, usually this flirt-to-convert thing doesn't work. Not that my grandpa was doing that. He just got a dispensation to marry the woman he liked. But people have this idea of flirt-to-convert. It usually doesn't work. Look at what St. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. End quote. So once again, all these legal loopholes given by the modernist hierarchy are first of all not biblical, and secondly, it's leading to the sadness of all these divorces of Catholics marrying non-Catholics. Granted, there's a huge annulment rate for Catholics marrying Catholics too. But what I think we can see is these loopholes aren't getting anybody anywhere. Well, again, yet again, looks like the Bible and apostolic Catholicism had it right, not just for God's glory, but also salvation of souls and also for human happiness. Number 18, and I mispronounced this earlier, it's impeding. Give examples of impeding impediments. Word is impeding impediments. Sorry about that earlier. Impeding impediments are, for example, the forbidden times, a simple vow of chastity, and the like. Okay, those are some ancient words there. The forbidden times was, I believe when the Pope wrote this, you couldn't get married in Lent. 
So we're so ridiculous now that there are actually some Novus Ordo parishes where the priest says there's going to be no baptisms in Lent. I tried to not say anything this too extreme on CPX because I know there's people who go to the Mass in the vernacular, English or Spanish or whatever, listening to this series who don't go to the traditional Latin Mass. But I'll say this, if you go to a Novus Ordo Mass, that's the Mass in English or Spanish or Chinese or Vietnamese or whatever, if you go to that and your priest says there's no baptisms in Lent, leave that parish. Whether it's for a traditional Latin Mass community or a more conservative Novus Ordo parish, leave any place if you have a priest with this superstitious idea there can be no baptisms in Lent. Baptism is necessary for salvation. To delay that on a baby because of some superstition that gels with your laziness is absolutely insane. So it is true, you couldn't get married in the forbidden times, which again, I think was Advent and Lent. But baptisms should always be done within the week. Now, let's talk about these impeding impediments. You know, I listened to my last podcast, and even though I wasn't wrong about um, anything I am aware of, I actually wasn't too clear with you guys on something on that ratum non consummatum business. For ratum non consummatum, I didn't mean that like physical impediments like impotence would constitute ratum non consummatum. Rather, when I was talking about these other reasons, we'll say like no honeymoon, just like the example in those Eastern Bloc countries, that would be reason for the Pope to dissolve the union if they never united and say they chose not to. However, when a man physically can't unite and he knew this in his engagement time, this is something different. This is called absolute impotence, and it's actually a valid reason for annulment. Other impediments to marriage uh, that should stop you um, but would be reason after the vows for a declaration of nullity would be things like, as we talked about earlier, marrying your cousin or a shotgun wedding because that kind of overturns freedom. Now, you know, 90 to 99% of U.S. annulments happen under this canon called lack of due discretion. I think, I personally think that canon is extremely misused because really none of us had full discretion of the crosses that would come to us in our vocations in our lifetimes. You know, if I ever had full discretion of all the suffering I would have had in my priesthood, I never, ever would have been ordained. But you don't see me leaving the priesthood, do you? And then also we have this term, a uh, simple vow of chastity. Now, there can be debate on how easy or hard that should be to release you from a simple vow of chastity. But the Pope did say this was an impeding impediment to getting married. Number 19, are the faithful obliged to make known to ecclesiastical authority impediments of which they have knowledge? Answer, the faithful are obliged to make known to ecclesiastical authority impediments of which they have knowledge, and for this reason the names of those who intend to get married are published in the church. Okay, now my little commentary on this. That might sound a little antiquated to you, but if you go to a fraternity St. Peter or an Institute of Christ the King or an SSPX parish, they still have the marriage bans. What are the marriage bans? The marriage bans are the bulletin or bulletin board announcements of upcoming weddings so that, one, that people know, but secondly, so that people can express opposition. Now, what does opposition look like? This isn't just like, oh, well, this future groom used to be my boyfriend and I think he's a real jerk. No, no, it's a lot bigger than that. It's like, if this person was already married in another city, then if you know about that, you're obliged to go tell your parish priest. Why? Because you can only get married once, and if this person's trying it a second time, it's going to be a fake marriage, and a marriage is a public thing, so it'd be a public scandal. So this is why you have to bring it. And it's really a great idea to have these marriage bans. These aren't to embarrass people, but because since marriage is a public event, and because, again, a fake marriage can cause public scandal, the prevention of that scandal has to be public. Hence, the marriage bans that you will find at traditional Latin mass parishes.
Now, of course, movies have that silly scene where the minister says, if anyone knows any reason why these two should not be wed, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. Okay, we never had that in the wedding mass, the marriage mass, um, or rather the vows in the traditional Latin mass just happened before a high mass or low mass or just vows. So as you hear the wedding bands, if you know, for example, that the future groom is a religious brother still under vows, then you are obliged, as the Pope said, to make known to ecclesiastical authority impediments which you have knowledge of. Number 20, who has the power to regulate impediments to marriage, to dispense from them, and to judge the validity of Christian marriage? Answer, the church alone has power to regulate impediments to marriage, to judge of the validity of marriage among Christians, and to dispense from the impediments which she has placed. Number 21, why has the church alone power to place impediments and to judge of the validity of marriage? Answer, the church alone has power to place impediments to judge of the validity of marriage and to dispense from the impediments which she has placed because the contract, being inseparable from the sacrament in a Christian marriage, also comes under the power of the church to which alone Jesus Christ gave the right to make laws and give decisions in sacred things. Number 22, can the civil authority dissolve the bonds of Christian marriage by divorce? Answer, no, the bond of Christian marriage cannot be dissolved by the civil authority because the civil authority cannot interfere with the matter of the sacrament, nor can it put it asunder what God has joined together. Okay, my little commentary on this. You know, my friend Layla Miller has written a lot on what a horrible scandal we have right now that most United States dioceses require a civil divorce before assessing if the declaration of nullity is to be given. And she's exactly correct. For what the Pope said here, the bond of Christian marriage cannot be dissolved by the civil authority because the civil authority cannot interfere with the matter of the sacrament, nor can it put asunder what God has joined together. So most tribunals in the United States and probably the rest of the world giving out annulments is in direct contradiction to this catechism line today. Number 23, what is a civil marriage? Answer is nothing but a mere formality prescribed by the civil law to give and ensure the civil effects of the marriage to the spouses and their children. Number 24, is it sufficient for a Christian to get only the civil marriage or contract? Answer for a Christian, it is not sufficient to get only the civil contract because it is not a sacrament and therefore not a true marriage. Number 25, in what condition would the spouses be who would live together united only by a civil marriage? Answer, spouses who would live together united by only a civil marriage would be in a habitual state of mortal sin, and their union would always be illegitimate in the sight of God and of the church. Okay, so a little commentary from me. How do you get out of this? Well, you can, and it's called a convalidation. The correct term to move two, two Catholics who have a civil marriage to a sacramental marriage, the right term is not to bless that marriage. You can't bless something that's already sinful but you can convalidate the civil vows to then become valid in the eyes of God by first going to confession and then making these vows again before a priest in a church. Now, most dioceses are pretty quick to convalidate a marriage, and I actually think this is a good idea. I probably thought I was going to rip on that too. That's actually a good idea because if this couple who is Catholic and they've only been married, say, by a justice of the peace, they already have kids, then, yeah, we should move fast to get the parents out of sin and get those vows galvanized before God. So again, a convalidation is just when, for example, two Catholics got married by, say, a justice of the peace, but never in the church. Then maybe later they have this conversion and they want to get that civil union blessed by God, galvanized before God. 
Well, remember, the church doesn't recognize that civil union. That's why the Pope said they'd be living in mortal sin. Then they get married in the church, and that's convalidation. Now, if you do this, make sure you confess getting married without the church, that you got married without the church in the first place. Confess that before your wedding day. You know, I've done convalidation ceremonies before. They can be done in 15 to 30 minutes if you don't have the Mass. It's nice to have a Mass, but you can't have all those people there because it's kind of misleading what's actually happened. You can have a couple witnesses, but you actually don't need a Mass. Um, you can have a 15-minute ceremony um, to bring that civil union to a sacramental marriage in this thing we call convalidation. Number 26, should we also get the civil marriage? Answer, we should perform the civil marriage because though it is not a sacrament, it provides the spouses and their children with the civil effects of conjugal society. For this reason, the ecclesiastical authority, as a general rule, allows the religious marriage only after the formalities prescribed by the civil authorities have been accomplished. Okay, so you know, the Eterna Press adds their own little note here. They say, in many countries, especially English-speaking countries, the civil authority acknowledges the religious marriage and gives it the civil effects, thus there is no need of a separate ceremony. However, the states often add certain requirements and formalities which should be observed. For that last sentence, I think what a turn of press means is, at least here in the United States, after the wedding mass of two Catholics, they often go back to the sacristy and they sign the state of Colorado wedding form right there, whatever state you happen to be in. That is enough to ratify this sacramental marriage in the eyes of the state as also civil. Now, if you remember my first CPX I did on marriage um, maybe a month ago, you might remember that I said that probably all sacramental marriages, again, that's a baptized Catholic marrying a baptized, a baptized Catholic man marrying a baptized Catholic woman in a parish, probably all of them constitute a civil marriage, provided they sign those little state papers in the back after the Mass. But remember, not all civil marriages constitute a sacramental marriage or even a natural marriage. That's why, if you're listening to this, and you're two Catholics, and you got married by a justice of peace, then please go get a convalidation at your local parish. Now, unfortunately, we might be approaching the point where, say, people who raise their kids without the vaccine, or, say, who teach alternative marriages are bad, if they teach that to their kids, we might be approaching the point where those in such sacramental marriages might be denied soon enough, and we're not there yet, might be denied the civil aspect of that marriage in a courtroom. We're not there yet in the United States. I've heard some rumors in Europe. And I agree definitely with the Pope that indeed you should sign those civil papers for the state in the back of the church after your wedding mass to make that sacramental marriage also recognized in the eyes of the state. No problem in doing that. But don't be surprised if one day you have to choose between a civil marriage and a sacramental marriage. That could happen if the state starts requiring... Um, we'll put it, assent to their own catechesis, their own catechesis of secularism and totalitarianism. Don't be surprised if that day unfortunately comes where you have to pick between your marriage or your, the marriage of your kids or grandkids being a civil marriage and a sacramental marriage if they are already guilty of, say, thought crimes before a totalitarian government. Well, if they have that decision, I'm sure you know which one to pick. Obviously, the sacramental marriage. And then two quick final notes. You know, sometimes I use these words show notes, I link things, and you can usually find those on the description on your podcast or on YouTube under the video. But if they're ever long or you really want to go back and see something in depth, my show notes are always on the talk section of my blog. If you go to Padre Peregrino, then you can go find a pull-down menu called Talks, and there under Talks you can find almost every podcast and video I've ever made. Again, just go to the pull-down menu called Talks. 
Also, final note here, all of my videos are also on BitChute. If you Google BitChute Padre Peregrino, and now I'm on Rumble, but you have to Google on Rumble, NixDave, N-I-X-D-A-V-E, one word. It's important to know about my BitChute and my Rumble, because if I'm ever deplatformed on YouTube, that is where you can find me. Thank you very, very, very much to all of my benefactors, spiritual and material. Please say an Our Father for me. Et benedictio de omnipotentis, patris et spiritus sancti, descendet super vos et mani et semper. Amen.